0: Welcome back.
1: Okay, and then there was a two successor state solution, which ba- which would basically have the UN recognize both the PRC and the so-called ROC as founding members of the UN. Now, um, Dulles suggested having the PRC on the Security Council and the so-called ROC in the General Assembly. But so, and then we can see from all these solutions that the US was conspiring to create two Chinas out of the cross-strait situation. So um on September 23rd, and Li said that all of these solutions are an attempt to undermine Chinese China's territorial integrity. So um and at the same time Chiang Kai-shek, though he was anti-PRC, was also against these solutions. He um we can see from his um relationship with the US that he welcomed only US aid, but not um not being bossed around by the U.S. And he saw anti-communism as the basis for his partnership with the U.S. He was strongly against um, all forms of U.S. intervention in Chinese politics. He wanted their money, but he didn't want... He wanted their support, but he wanted to be the guy in charge when it came to China. And his goal was to use the U, use the U.S. to um, attain his goal of reclaiming the mainland. So on October 16th, Chiang Kai-shek says Taiwan will never be neutral and it will always stand resolutely against communism and will never give up on returning to the mainland. And then um, around this time, the so-called foreign minister of the um, so-called ROC, Ye Gongchao, says the mainland is legally Chinese territory. Therefore, the KMT will launch an attack on the communists whenever it wants, and no foreign power can stop us. So like I said, you have two competing entities that saw themselves as the rightful government of China, so this was when Mao made the decision to liberate Dachen. And um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, da Chen is an island off of um Zhejiang Province, and in September of 1951, the KMT created a um guerrilla command post there, because um there were no regular soldiers soldiers on Dachen when mainland China was liberated. Just um individual soldiers and swaths um just individual soldiers who swam there as well as um like others who had reasons to escape the pla for example landlords bandits criminals you know okay now back to 1954 october 28th the pla shells zhejiang province's um yijangsan island and on november 1st the pla the PLA Air Force bombs um, KMT warships for five days, and in the middle, later that month, in November, on November fourteenth, the KMT Navy's Taiping um, Hao warship, which was the main force of the navy, is sunk by the PLA Navy at Yushanxi, um, Nanhai.
0: So this is uh, an important thing to know: the Yijangsan, uh battle is the first time the PLA has a Integrated attack among its navy, air force, and and uh, 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 I think I think amphibious landing force. Um You know, because because now by by now PLA is starting to develop its own navy and its own air force to counter the KMT forces.
1: Yep, and then later that month, the U.S. sends a fleet of F eighty six warplanes and Dolis... Dulles- says that the u.s must respond to communist provocations and then december 2nd the foreign minister so-called foreign minister um Ye Gongcao signs the mutual defense treaty with dallas in washington which provided the u.s with legal precedents to station forces in taiwan and um so Chiang kai-shek started thinking that with this new protective shield Mao would stop messing with him and wouldn't attack anymore um more um KMT controlled islands <clears throat> now the same treaty was declared was condemned as illegal by Zhou Wen Lai on December 8th and he saw, he said that it was an attempt for the US to to provide legal justification for its imperialist aggression aggression in Taiwan so 1955 PLA liberates a bunch of offshore islands um and then January 24th, 1955, Zorin Lai tells the US to fuck off, saying that whether or not the PLA engages or disengages with Chiang Kai-shek's military is a domestic affair and in response on January 26th and 28th, the Senate and the House respectively passed the um the, Form- the Formosa Resolution of 1955 and Eisenhower signs it on the 29th. And this resolution gave the US president the authority to, I quote, employ the armed forces of the United States as deemed necessary for the specific purpose of securing and protecting Formosa and the Pescadores against armed attack by the communists. So, and then January 26th, the US attempts to pass a resolution recognizing the existence of two Chinas. And then the UN invites the PRC to join the meeting, but then the PRC declined, saying that since the so-called ROC is there, its attendance would mean the tacit approval of two Chinas. So anyway, like Zhou Lai just keeps on maintaining his position, you know, saying that the resolution is an attempt to cover up U.S. aggression against China. But what might surprise some of the listeners is that Chiang Kai-shek actually agrees and says that the mainland and Taiwan are both Chinese territory and I want everyone to know that the Chinese the Chinese people and government will not allow anyone to split the territory of the Republic of China. There are ulterior motives in misrepresenting Taiwan's status and two Chinas is a ridiculous stance. So, the resolution is buried and then this leaves us with the problem mentioned earlier that the mutual defense treaty only covers Taiwan and Penghu, which basically means that the US wants Chiang Kai-shek to give up the offshore islands on the other side of the strait. So, okay, I, sh- I shit you not. Um, Chiang Kai-shek sends his son, Jiang Jingguo, to Da Chen to carry out what is called Operation King Kong. Jinggang Jihua. And under um, Operation King Kong, all of the residents of Da Chen were relocated to Taiwan with the assistance of the 7th Fleet. And then shortly after, the PLA liberates Da Chen, and then Later that month, they liberate more islands. The um, and then Washington thought that Jinmen and Mazu were next. Jinmen is the island that's across from Xiamen in Fujian Province, and Mazu is an island right across from uh, Fuzhou, which is a little bit more north of the same province. Eisenhower tells Chiang Kai-shek to retreat from Jinmen and Mazu and defend Taiwan, and then. His intention was for the Taiwan Strait itself to be the line of separation between the two Chinese governments, and because with with the separation that wide, it would basically be the creation of two Chinas or an independent Taiwan. So, and then March seventeenth, the U.S. sends twenty two landing ships to um, Taiwan to show its goodwill, and Dolish really wants Chiang Kai-shek to give up Jinmen and Mazu around this time, but Chiang Kai-shek refused because he knew that. Giving up mainland China for good. And he knew that giving up Jinmen and Mazu would mean that he would signal that he's giving up mainland China for good and that he's conceding to um, the two China solution. Whereas um and Mazu, from his perspective and for his propaganda purposes, were supposed to be springboards for the recapturing of the mainland. So Chiang Kai shek convinces Dalis that it was absolutely necessary to defend Jinmen and Mazu. And then Dulles convinces. Eisenhower to at least temporarily stop telling Chiang Kai-shek to retreat from the two islands, and then Eisenhower once again says that drops another nuclear threat, saying that if the communists go to Jimen or Mazu, the U.S. will use nukes. And Mao, being the type of guy who who likes to call out the U.S. as bluff, um, decided to play around and see if the U.S. really meant it. So, anyways. He thought that at this point, Mao was starting to think that limiting the KMT's um, area of power to Taiwan, Jinmen, Penghu, Mazu was enough. And that um, Jinmen and Mazu could be seen as like one whole unit with Taiwan to be liberated altogether. And this was partly to maintain the legitimacy of one China. And international pressure gets Eisenhower to announce on April 26th that he's willing to negotiate with Beijing on ending
0: hostilities. And for people who are not familiar with this part of southeastern China geography, Jinmen and Mazu are a bunch of islands that are on the mainland side of the Taiwan Strait. Right. So they're just offshore islands uh, off the coast of, of mainland China. Um, they're actually on the mainland side of the Taiwan Strait. So, you know, the, so the, the KMT government controlled Taiwan. Uh, Penghu Islands in the middle of the Taiwan Strait, and a couple island Jinmen and Mazu, across the Taiwan Strait on basically on the side of Fujian Province.
1: From you can actually swim to mainland China from either Jinmen or Matsu.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't advise it,
1: it, it, but it's doable.
0: Uh, on, on with uh with basketball as floating flotation device as uh. As a famous uh, World Bank economist, uh, what's his name? Uh, Lin, um, something something. Uh, J- I think Justin Lin. He's uh, he used to be like a, a, a um, a model Taiwanese soldier, uh, stationed in Jinmen. and he in nineteen uh, I think nineteen seventy nine or nineteen eighty, he swim across uh using two two basketball basketball as flotation device.
1: Nice. Anyways, Chiang Kai-shek is pissed and he, and his foreign minister says that such action well he basically says, "Okay, well, if you do this, then I'm not going to be friends with you anymore to the US." So then I think we mentioned in the last episode um the US wanted to rep- at first wanted to replace Chiang Kai-shek with um Sun Li-ren. But then um the um the the chair of Taiwan Province Wu Guozhen became their choice, so Chiang Kai-shek, being Chiang Kai-shek, exiles him from Taiwan. So then, on May thirty first, you start to see a little bit of a shift in uh, mainland China's attitude towards um the Taiwan pro- the Taiwan issue. Zhou Enlai announces that the liberation of Taiwan can be done in two possible manners: through war or through peaceful means. So. This actually this change actually impacted Taiwan's stock market and stock prices soared. Cause I guess people don't like war. And um and he reiterates that um Sino US relations are foreign relations, but issues between PR the PRC and the Chang ruling regime are domestic affairs. And he also emphasizes that, that emphasizes that the PRC is willing to negotiate with the US, but it won't negotiate a ceasefire with the US since there is no war with the US. So then the Central Committee writes a letter to um Chiang Kai-shek saying that they'll let they'll reunify China on the international stage, but let Chiang Kai shek administer Taiwan, including his military, and tells him that they hope he gets to visit his hometown, um, Fenghua, after reunification. And Chiang Kai shek being a very um traditional Chinese Chinese man who hasn't been back to his hometown was very um this kind of struck struck a chord with him because it's um it's a big deal in Chinese culture to you know go to your ancestors' tombs and to sweep them and maintain them and pay your respects and he hasn't been able to do so for a really long time.
0: Yeah, the so that, last time he did it was 1949, just before he flew to Taiwan.
1: Yeah, so secret talks between the KMT and the CCP went on during this time, despite Chiang Kai-shek saying he'll never negotiate with communists. So the third the third collaboration between the nationalists and the communists was raised by the ccp this refers to the first time being um and it was the the fight against the warlords the second time was the um the the unification to fight against the japanese invaders so
0: yeah the first time was uh when Sun yat san formed the, his uh, Canton government in 1920s, uh, receiving the Soviet support. The second time was uh, during the Japanese invasion after Marshal Zhang Xueliang staged uh, the Xi'an incident, the coup, when he arrested Chiang Kai-shek and forced Chiang Kai-shek to agree to fight Japanese together with communists. Uh, so, So this would be... I guess a third time.
1: Yeah, so um this the next part starts getting kind of funny. So then there are um bourgeois liberal elements in Taiwan who have connections with Washington and they were pissed. And um a group of people led by the um the so-called national policy advisor, Lei Chen, wanted to limit Zhang's terms. So what does Zhang do? Chiang kai shek kicks him out of the party. And then at yeah, this, it's
0: I... funny because at this time, I remember in the nineteen nineties, uh, when I was uh, spending most of my time in Chicago public libraries, there was a publication called Free China uh, Ge- uh, Pictorial. It was basically published in Taiwan, as I figure out very quickly. And but basically before nineteen before nineties. Taiwan was not free nor a democracy. It's a it's a dictatorship run by the Jiang family.
1: But you know why it's called a democracy? Because the National Assembly was elected in 1947. But I mean, to be democratic, you needed elections. But then what Chiang Kai-shek did was say that well, our country is not reunified, and most of the citizens are um under are being uh, what's the word Lunxian. Um,
0: occupied by by the communists
1: yeah they were occupied by the communists so until reunification we can't elect a national assembly because (laughs) we we only have like um three three one thousandths of chinese territory under our control
0: yes and also the so-called 1947 election zhang kai shi staged that specifically to grant himself legitimacy because um, that's when Zhang decided to basically launch four-scale Chinese civil war, and he did not want to enter into a coalition government with the communists. So he held his own, uh, basically, the show, show trial uh, uh, so-called elections, uh, and, and that, that's the only election he ever had.
1: Yeah. And then um, because there were no more elections in the na- so-called National Assembly, even when they relocated to Taiwan, that was also another issue because it was needless to say, it was dominated by mainlanders. So then you at, at the top level of government in Taiwan, you had no like Taiwanese people. They were all like people who relocated to Taiwan between 1945 and like the mid 1950s. And it's like not just just mainlanders in general, but like the elite among the mainlanders.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, uh, I think when we talked before the show that you know the the a lot of times the kind of the class uh, division w- are masked it's by obf- the yeah as a, as by the tension between the mainlanders versus the so-called the Taiwanese because you know a lot most majority of the mainlanders who follow kai Shet's regime to Taiwan are not rich. They're not elite. They're they're they poor. poor. Yeah, they're poor working class or peasant background. And they were just basically, you know, either in the army to make a living or or kind of was gang pressed into to to conscripted into the army. And they were forced by circumstances to end up on Taiwan.
1: But then, like when you have anti-mainland sentiments, it's them who bear the brunt of it
0: exactly because they're there's the most visible yeah uh, you know, the most visible uh, reminder of, of kind of the mainland uh, presence in Taiwan when when whereas the Chiang kai She's officials are well protected behind their you know compound residential compound with guards and and stuff uh, yeah so this is unfortunately uh aspect of, I just want to
1: do an aside as you mentioned that um the um at one of the restaurants where I work um the boss is actually from Dachen. Well, he's not from da Chen. his older brother was born there, but he was born in Taiwan. But <clears throat> the interesting thing about um da Chen is you know when a lot of the military families came to Taiwan, they were given they were given housing by the government. They set up these things called jiancun, which is like um little villages of like military, military dependents and families. Yeah. yeah. Well, Da Chen, those people weren't military, but then they needed a place to stay, so then they were also like you know set up by the government with um you know housing and stuff. but the difference between Dachen Chen communities and Zsun was Zuan you had people from all sorts of places in China, so then the the common language was standard Mandarin, but then with Da Chen when everyone in their communities, even on Taiwan were from the same place. They For people
0: who, who who need a little reminder, Dachen is this group of islands that just off coast of Zhejiang Province in southeastern China, and the KMT basically relocated the entire population of Dachen to Taiwan under their, during their evacuation in 1954.
1: 55. The the war the fight started 54, but the evacuation was 55.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I but right. um. So then anyways, they their dialect actually survived for like two generations, like two three generations, like much longer than other like Hainanese families. So then like my the, my the restaurant owner, he actually speaks in that dialect too um to his siblings or when he doesn't want his wife to understand what he's saying. And um anyways, he speaks very good um Hokkien. So then I asked him, I was like, "Well, you're um you speak very good Hokkien, like better than a lot of Bensunren." And um, one of one of my coworkers, who was this like this older woman from Anhui, who I guess he she doesn't understand the situation in Taiwan, I was like, "Well, of course, he grew up in Taiwan. Of course, he's good at speaking it." So I said, "Not really. If you look at Ma ying who was um the previous leader of Taiwan, he's from a Weisung family, and he didn't speak Hokkien until he was running for president uh, for for yeah for so called president." And um you see that sort of class divide so i asked him and he was like oh yeah well you know i didn't have a i, I didn't i wasn't born with a with a silver spoon in my mouth like like a mind you know when you when you go to someone else's turf he was talking about taiwan you gotta um you gotta uh, you gotta adapt otherwise you get your ass kicked so i was like so did he get your ass kicked he was like yeah when i was a kid i didn't speak i'm Hokkien. i got my ass kicked for being a and Ren. right for being
0: so a <laughs> The mainlander, right? Yeah. But so for like, the people so... who are not familiar with the wizard terms, you know the, the Chinese terms. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. So I
1: learned quickly, so I wouldn't get my ass kicked anymore. Anyways, around this time when um, Lei Zhen, who did the um, Lei Zhen, was kicked out of the party, there was this dude by the um his name was Liao Wen Yi, and he's considered by some to be the father of the Taiwan independence movement. I oh, yeah, there's like too many fathers of that movement. Yeah. Anyways, he forms the so-called provisional government. Of the Republic of Taiwan in Japan now interestingly, at the meetings, you know what language is spoken
0: what language guess uh Japanese,
1: yeah, how did you know so I mean <laughs> yeah, and then um instead of like writing the year and like you know using the Gregorian year or the um the the, the oh,
0: Use the rain showa. year of the Japanese emperor. No way.
1: Their documents like mark the year with the Showa year, uh, Zaohe. Oh my it, god!
0: So
1: basically, it was a it was a clique of people who wanted Taiwan to be pretty much like the Manchurian puppet regime set up by the Japanese during World War Two. <laughs> so, as you can see, there were bourgeois anti-KMT people, and they were split into two camps: the the Free China types. And then the Taiwan independence types. And then the CCP kind of supports Chiang Kai-shek out of all these different camps of reactionaries in the context of reunification. Because they're like better Chiang than like full-blown like bourgeois liberals.
0: You know, the better the the better the 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 devil I know than the you know yeah also at
1: least we fought this bastard for this many decades, he's predictable, we know how to deal with him. We don't want to deal with all the other like these <laughs> show, these Japanese worshipping separatists. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that all separatists are Japanese worshiping, but there is that element and this is a oh, this is a case. So yeah. then Chiang Kai Shek sends people to Beijing once again to better understand their position. So then, his main dude. This is really funny. His main dude. He sends sends. His name is um Song Yishan. He writes a report, and he basically says mainland China is doing quite well under the communists. So Chiang Kai-shek was pissed at his response, and he thinks um Song Yishan had been um turned into a communist. <laughs> <laughs> so he sends another guy named um Cao Juren to his hometown to pay respects to um you know his own ancestors and then rep- like Chang Kai-shek's ancestors and then report on the situation. And Cao Ren says, Hua is better than before. Which year so- was
0: this? Which year was this?
1: Like 1955.
0: Okay. So this is, the, the date is important because, um, in, in, as a recollection from my own grandparents right uh the 1950s the or at least the early 1950s were actually relatively good times compared to you know the, the times that went before the the, the the civil war and then the the japanese invasion you know the, the hard times start to come after the great leap forward after 1959. Right. So that's why I ask what time mm-hmm. what time you're talking about. So yeah, 19, 19 my according to my grand grandpa, my on my mother's side, he said, you know, the early nineteen fifties were good times.
1: But even after the Great Leap Forward and stuff like that, I mean I I feel like it's it would be difficult to compare but to like the time before liberation because at least like people had schools to attend, they had, you know, they, they had they had much more of a safety net than they ever did before, despite all the trials and tribulations and the errors of you know, like you know. Well, I mean,
0: the do. reason I asked for for the time is because you know, people I know people yeah. are just are gonna jump out of woodworks. Oh, what about the Great Leap Forward? I what about the Great Famine? Right. Uh, yeah. So Well, this so is that's before. I, the... I was very, very specific, very specific, right? I mean, like, like this that that. This this happened before nineteen fifty nine, this was nineteen fifty five. That totally makes sense, actually. You know, you, it it is it is be- it is much better than before. Cause what was what was before? Before it was Chinese Civil War and before that was a Japanese invasion.
1: Yeah, and then um so Chiang Kai shek was at this point he was caught between the difficult choice of reunification and anti communism. And um at this point it wasn't a great leap forward yet, but there was an anti-rightist campaign going on in main, in the mainland. And Chiang Kai-shek felt that negotiations were a conspiracy to oust him after reunification.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, nobody said Chiang Kai-shek is not paranoid. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, that, But then, like, those people who Chiang Kai-shek tricked to Taiwan started missing their homes. So he figures if he starts preparing for a push back to the mainland, he can shift their attention so they stop being upset at him. So then he thought this was a time to really start carrying out his Fangong Gong Da Lu or recapture the mainland campaign. So, okay, on the side, like this, Fan Da Lu was still, like, official policy up until, like, the, um... 1980s the, the right? yeah the yeah. 80s but it wasn't actively pursued like after the 70s so right, but then right, like when my mom was right. growing she, my mom was born in 1956 like when she grew up she had to like sing all these like songs about recapturing the mainland and saving our mainland compatriots just yeah, kind, of, yeah, kind yeah. of funny but um yeah so then um Between because of and because the Sino-U.S. Mutual Defense Treaty went into effect in 1955, the military aid increase like military aid increases, and then um the U.S. sends 2,600 military advisors to Taiwan, and then I think we mentioned this last episode the um Liu Ziran incident.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Basically, this Taiwanese guy. I don't know if he's like Taiwanese Taiwanese or like mainland mainlander Taiwanese. Anyways, whatever. He's not he's not
0: guy. KMT guy.
1: Anyways, he's he, he he's not a he's not a Youngwe. He's not a foreign <laughs> yeah. devil. Anyways yeah. They use him they use his death he was he was killed by an American to inc- to incite a mass anger to, to incite like mass anger against the US and then to like try to bolster anti US sentiments and to pressure the US to stop its conspiracy to replace Chiang Kai shek
0: yeah then, that's basically it because you know Zhang kai She really used it as incident to kind of show off yeah. u s like look you know i can I can whip up the anti u s inc- uh sentiment anytime I want you know you better work with me,
1: yeah, and um dude, i think i I think I kind of understand his you know his great grandkid who got in the who was in the media a few years ago right
0: uh what what happened
1: Zhang Youqing. he um yeah. He 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 was sent to court for emailing a death threat to his principal at the Taipei American School. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, he Wait, had this is... like breakdown. So, anyways, the way he, he the way he acted is kind of like uh like Kai Shek on like crack. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> he, he,
1: he, it was an American school because he grew up in he he grew up in um, North America for like fifteen years before moving back to Taiwan. Yeah, and he wrote he wrote. You punk bitch! I hope you get fucked in prison. That was the email wow. that he sent to his principal. And wow. yeah, he's my favorite Chung, by the way. Anyways, <laughs> Anyways that that was Wait. kind of like that was kind Wait. of like what Chung got shipped into the U.S. Like, you punk bitch! Look what I can do.
0: Yeah. Wait. Wouldn't that be his great grandchildren?
1: Yeah, his great grandkid.
0: Yeah, great grandkid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that, that's yeah. Right. So, Okay.
1: So then he yeah. tells him. Um, he tells the Taiwanese people, like kind of with the U.S. as a true intended audience, that the recapture of the mainland and the anti-communist, anti-Soviet movement can be accomplished. Oh, um, no, no, I got this wrong. While he is inciting mass anger at the same time, he is also telling the people that our anti-communist movement can't be accomplished without an alliance with the U.S. So he's yeah, still yeah. like he's striking a balance so that the U.S. knows that he can he can incite um, mass anger, but that he was. Whereas he um, it
0: under control, he he's he's fine tuning. He's yeah. he's fine tuning the, the 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 nationalistic sentiment basically. Yeah,
1: yeah, but then he's he's also telling them, okay, my my first priority is to fight communism, yeah. though. So don't. So don't 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 pull out Noriega on me.
0: <laughs> yeah, he is a little bit more competent than Noriega, you know, in that oh. in the, in that uh, and and also that the US needed him because US no longer needed Noriega after the end of Cold War. Yeah. And and John she is lucky in that way. So, but,
1: November 11th, the mili- there's a military drill in Southern Taiwan with the 7th Fleet. Seventh Fleet, by the way, reminder is th- the US Navy. And then on November 28th, there was um, Chiang Kai shek led, um, like, he started the largest military drill since 1949. And he also announces that he will increase the number of troops in um, Jinmen and Mazu. Now And we're going to fast forward to uh, 1958 over here. Yeah. The US, the. Uh, so-called ROC Air Force begins flying over Yunnan, Guizhou, Sichuan, Qinghai, Fujian, Zhejiang—like these
0: are all Chinese provinces. Like, yeah, I was one thing I was actually surprised to learn was that, uh, you know, how extensive the, 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 the both the spy planes, the U.S. U-2 spy planes, and also the the Taiwanese Air Force were able to penetrate the mainland uh, China airspace. They, they, they were they were flying all over the place. Uh, in the fifties. On an aside,
1: I was at the restaurant. There was this really old guy who actually fought in the Korean War, and he was asking, like, you know, like what parts of China I've been to and stuff. And he started telling me like all the different places in China he's, in quotes, been to. So then I asked mm-hmm. him what he saw, and he was like, "Oh, I actually didn't see anything. I was I was flying planes."
0: Ah, yeah.
1: And he started talking about how um he he was also a war pilot in the Korean War, and he talked about how scary the Soviet MIGs were.
0: Wait, wait, wait! He's American.
1: Yeah, he's American. I, it was work. He was a customer at the restaurant where I worked.
0: Ah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. he, had, he had some yeah. stories. I, yes, I told him. Yes.
1: To, I told him that he should visit Pyongyang though and see
0: what see what it's like there. And I yeah, showed him yeah, pictures, yeah. and he's like,
1: "Wow, that's those that looks. That looks great." So,
0: yeah. <laughs> anyways, yeah, my my actually my elementary school in U.S. My elementary school, uh, homeroom teacher. Uh, Plus, history teacher and also science teacher. Both of them are fought in the Korean War. They're, they're, uh, you know, as, um, You're old. Of the US, from the US side. This is my US elementary school. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So basically, those planes were also dropping propaganda and other stuff. And. um. But at this time, the U.S. once again starts pressuring Chiang Kai-shek to retreat from um, Jinmen and Mazu, since the U.S. doesn't want to involve itself in a war with mainland China. So you can see, like Mao was right about the U.S. being a paper tiger. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it talk big, it talk about anti-communists, but it's,
0: it's it's still like it's still tread Mao, very carefully. Mao is uh, he's a good judgment character when it comes to U.S. politicians and Khrushchev. Yeah, he got the dial pretty pretty good.
1: My favorite part was how long when he met up with Khrushchev in um, Beijing, he knew that Khrushchev couldn't swim, so then he would tell Khrushchev to go talk to him at the pool while he like did like <laughs> swimming tricks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyways, yeah. at this time, Mao decides that he wants to carry out an attack on the two islands in retaliation, but it was also a message to the world that the fate of those islands is an issue between the two Chinese governments, and it's not an international affair. And then around that time, there was also um, stuff happening in the Middle East in July. After the Lebanese carried out an anti-US struggle, the Iraqi people overthrew their feudal government installed a people's democracy, which undermined uh, imperialist interests in the Middle East. So then the US and Britain, being the US and Britain, decide to send forces to the Middle East. And then
0: um later- yeah this was a lot of things were happening in the 1950s first there was a Suez uh, canal crisis when the British and the French sent the force trying to seize Suez Canal from Egypt and then then there's uh there's a um, Iranian government trying to nationalize uh, the the Anglo-Persian uh, Oil Company assets in, in Iran and then then U.S. Uh, sending the, uh, a Caltech professor to to um, stage a coup, you know, to push the Iranian shop back in power, and so so yeah, there, there was a lot uh, there was a lot of things were happening, and the U.S. was involved with around this time. Yeah, and it's China
1: knew that, so the um on July eighteenth, the Central Committee decides to shell Jinmen, hoping to involve the U.S. to a certain degree so that the US would be forced to send some troops away from the Middle East to the Taiwan Strait but they decide to hold the attack to hold off the attack and see what happens first in the Middle East but Chiang Kai-shek had pretty good intelligence so um he started noticing that the PLA had very highly unusual activities like getting stationed in like Fuzhou and um and basically all those areas surrounding Jinmen and Matsu. So he starts preparing. And um, in August, um, the so-called ROC, Air Force planes, the Chiang Kai-shek, the KMT's um, Air Force, that flew into the Fujian Zhejiang area were shot down. So then the U.S. condemns Mao. And Mao is just like, well, you know what? It's time to shell Jinmen and Mazu. So then, August twenty third, nineteen fifty eight, the Battle of Jinmen begins, and um, Mao pretty much tells us guys that we're attacking Jinmen to give Chiang Kai-shek an excuse to reject the U.S.'s advice to retreat from Jinmen and Mazu, not necessarily because we want to liberate Taiwan at this moment. And Eisenhower, you know, being the being the coward that he was, says says that the U- we should let the Asians fight Asians and that white Americans should not get involved and become the enemy of the Asian people. So you can see like the U.S. still cared about its PR. So Eisenhower's thing was, the U.S. will defend Taiwan and provide weapons, but it will not fight in Jinmen or Mazu. At the same time, the U.S. starts sending warships and shit to um, the Taiwan Strait, including materials meant for the Middle East, just as Mao expected. So at this point the PLA is at a loss as to um, whether or not to engage. Mouse. So then Mao comes up with um with the solution, which was to engage, but to only fire at KMT ships and to leave the U.S. ships alone, even if they fire. The um intent there were there were uh, multiple intentions. One of them was to like kind of test the U.S. to see how committed the U.S. was at defending Taiwan, and. The U.S. does not fire back at the PLA. As a result, the other is he's sending a message saying that this is a domestic issue, not an international issue. So we're not going to acknowledge the presence of Americans. You know. So then, through like the Battle of Jinmen, Mao discovered that there is a there is a definite limit on the level of um, mutual assistance that, which is um. The U.S. was definitely not willing to risk war with mainland China in that the U.S. wants Chiang Kai-shek to retreat from Jinmen and Mazu. And then, you know, the U.S. being the U.S., once again threatened to use nukes in Xiamen, but they didn't. And then, yeah, do you want to kind of finish this off about, like, the implications of the war and what happened? I mean, it's kind of, it doesn't, it's not as interesting after this.
0: I mean uh, t- yeah the the war the it's the battle in Ch- Chinese was known as Wan uh, pao Uh literally 10,000 uh artillery piece uh, bomb bombarding probably much Kim- more
1: than that but in Chinese like one just like means 10,000 it just means like a lot
0: yeah yeah lots of artillery uh, pieces bombarding kimmen island and and uh, this, this, the, the bombarding of Kemen Island actually became like a routine where uh, they will like start bombarding on the odd days or even days, and the, and, the uh, Chiang Kai Shek's
1: the, the Taiwan side would um, bombard the mainland on like the other days.
0: Yes, it was very important.
1: Yes. Coor- it was very coordinated. Like so, it was obvious to both sides that it wasn't a real fight. It was like a show to tell, pretty much, tell the U.S. that hey, this is still a hot zone this is the Chinese civil war still going on. So you can't separate Taiwan from the rest of China.
0: And then there will be like, uh, you know, they will send over like propaganda balloons, like both the mainland and the, the the Taiwan side They will send over like, uh, uh, you know, balloons carrying over like gifts and also with propaganda poster to the other side. And this was going on uh, up to 1980s, basically uh, but the shelling
1: stopped in 1979. Yes, yes. On, I think, the first. That's when um, Deng Xiaoping decided to stop it.
0: Yes, yes. Um, And and then, I think that the, the propaganda war still went on in, in the 80s. Uh, I as, as think I remember when I was in China in the 80s, the, at least the propaganda war was still going on. And... Uh, and uh, you know, cause that that this is every all a lot of the Chinese, uh, also the Taiwanese would know about this this event, and also the the uh as you mentioned before, uh there were so many shells, you know, landed in Kimmen and they they uh they were fashioned, from the from the from the shells. Fashioned a, a meat cleaver for for kitchen use. So supposedly they're they're made very good because they're you know made from good material. I I don't know. I I just heard it's a thing. I heard
1: that. I heard they're very very well made. But I think I'm not sure if the
0: shell. I I feel like at some point they're gonna run out of shells. Now, yeah. I mean, it's been like 20 years. I mean, last shelling happened in, what 1979. So it's been a while. It's been. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Jinmen at this point is known for two things:
1: the knives and their liquor.
0: Yes, it's kind of a, it's interesting because Xiamen now is a, like a big city, right? And it, Jinmen is still kind of a kind of like a like a rural rural area. I mean, it's it's, it's good it's for hard. one
1: thing. I have a friend in Xiamen who wanted to see Joker, which is banned in mainland China. So what she did was she took a boat to Jinmen to watch it, and then went back to Xiamen
0: <laughs> Oh yeah, because under Mainjo now there's like direct communication, right, between you uh between Shaman and Jimmen. There, there's you can just take a ferry, right? Yeah, yeah. Shao
1: Santong, it's apparently very um uh, very convenient.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and then then the Sha then, you know, for a while, um you know, before 80s, before the ending of the tension, sham like the development of Shaman was kind of uh hold off because that was supposed to be like a Battlefront, right? Uh, but after '80s, because you know the they wanted to uh, the, the the Chinese Taiwanese investors. Yeah, they wanted to attract Taiwanese investor, and they also wanted to develop shaman as kind of like the window front, right? For to to uh, of China. So so now shaman uh, is quite developed. It's a it's a very nice nice coast city. Uh, and and is there some nice uh, resort area around there too? There's yeah, it's pretty. Beach.
1: It's quite pretty, but yeah, like I decided to go there once when I was living in Taiwan, and then I was like, man, this is this is too similar to Taiwan. I, I feel like I wasted <laughs> my money. <laughs> like, the old people talking sounded like almost exactly the same as like old people in Taiwan.
0: Yeah, because the language is very similar, and then yeah. and then there also the. Uh, but on the Jinmen side, you know, now pe- people in for Chinese tourists, you know, if they wanna see that kind of uh in, in their in their mind like the, the, the traditional China, right? They go to Jinmen, oh, Jinmen by the way, I
1: sent um when I went to China um in in December and January, I sent um I sent Pang Zai a um, bottle of um Jinmen gaoliang. Oh nice. Yeah. nice! I wonder if he's gonna chug it. Okay, I, I should oh, have sent him oh, two, so he can chug one of them and keep the other one.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's great. That's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, on that on that note, on the notes of Ponsai and the liquor, I think it's a good time to end this for now. Yeah, um, yeah. I guess next we, we... Um,
1: next time we can talk about um the trend, like kind of the rest of the Chiang Kai Shek era. I think we're. I think over here we pretty much explained the context of Taiwan. Yes. In relation to like the US imperialists and yes, in relation yeah. to mainland China and to a lesser extent, you know, Soviet Union, Korea, Japan and all that. So I think next time we might talk about some of the economic development and also like some of Chiang Kai shek's policies, but then I think the bulk of it will be the changes during the Jiang Jinguo era.
0: Yes. I'm actually more interested to hear about like anecdotal stories, maybe personal stories about Jiang Jingguo's uh, title. I don't have any because I was born
1: in 1993. <laughs>
0: I forgot. I forgot. I'm a fucking general gen You're yeah. a, you a millennial. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's okay. We'll, 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 we'll manage. We'll, we'll, but like I just... think um,
1: growing up in the '90s, I spent a lot of my summers in Taiwan. And um, I think in the '90s, you, it you, was you, still. You mean
0: you're not gonna have some Teresa Den's ten story for me? The dream. I mean, I, I feel like
1: I, I feel like you have more than I do. <laughs>
0: Okay, for people who don't know, uh, like in the '80s, there are two famous dens in, in China. One is Deng Xiaoping, of course, uh, and the other one is what people call Little Den. Uh That's the uh, the Teresa Ten, who is a Taiwanese singer who was.
1: Uh, there was a saying in mainland China: like we listen to um we listen to Deng Xiaoping by day, and we listen to Deng Lijun at night.
0: Yeah, and then Li Jun was actually, uh, she was actually employed by the Taiwanese intelligence uh, at one point to uh, to 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 broadcast uh, propaganda to to mainland. So that that was interesting too. Anyway, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about all that when we, when yeah. we come back.
1: I think the yeah. next next episode will be even more interesting because that we're going to really get into things like the Taiwan independence movement, the opposition against the KMT, and yeah, yeah. yes. this and
0: that. Yes. So. Yes.
1: You know, I I think um next episode will be the one that um our friends, the one who um shared your link previously and talked a lot of shit, will have a lot to say. Wait, there's, there's who, not much to that? argue. There's not much to argue with um like what we said the in the last episode because it was such a long time ago. Let me let me see. Let me pull it up. I want to show you the yeah. Um...
0: What, what what did they say? I mean, literally, I was just talking about. The history of Taiwan, like pre-history of Taiwan and the Thai, the history of uh, Koxinga's war against Dutch. I mean, like, how is that controversial? I mean, I, I don't know. He just got
1: <laughs> mad. I, I'll just read you the things. I think, okay, we're going to end the podcast on like um me reading mean comments. How about that? Okay,
0: okay, okay, okay.
1: So, yeah. um, shit, let, me see, let me see my phone. I think it's on my phone. Okay. So there is this guy. His name is Ye Yilun. He's like this okay. Taiwanese I think he's a Hapa. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He okay. shares um our he shares our episode, the previous one, the preview, not even the full episode. Yeah.
0: yeah into yeah. a group
1: called Taiwan History, and he says, Are tankies reaching the point? And then um one of the commenters, Michael Turton, says What do either of those CCP zombies know?
0: Oh, then, Michael Turton! Oh my God, he's like American you know how, guy living in Taiwan, and he he runs this uh this website called The View from Taiwan, and and he's a big DDP supporter. Uh, okay,
1: then Michael Turton, you understand this? What can you Okay, I'm done.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. So then, uh, yeah, you
1: don't respond to them. That Taiwan has been repeatedly colonized, and the ROC is the latest iteration. Okay, and then he, sh- and then another guy, Ben Salerno comments, "Tinky takes can ruin my whole day, so I'm afraid to listen." What are the main takeaways? Ye says, "Taiwan has had a long history of colonization, and the ROC is the latest iteration." I've always wanted to do a podcast series on. Oh, he's just he's just copying and pasting what you wrote. So then Ben Salerno says, "Had to use Wayback Machine for Xiang Yu's suspended Twitter." It only shows a handful of posts where he's being a North Korea-boo. So he's confirmed for being a tryhard, if nothing else. Dude, man, if you had family that got, like, separated and almost killed during the Korean War, you would think differently, so fuck you. And, uh, I'm gonna- that was an aside. I just dread discovering him doing the typical tanky thing where, after accurately describing historical imperialism... Totally reverses course for the modern day to say some shit about how the CCP should take Taiwan by force, or whether, or whatever, because red flag man said so. Well, I never said that in the previous episode, and the fact that you're describing imperialism as historical imperialism says that you don't think it exists anymore. So, big fuck you to you. And okay, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, these, those these are like into my.
0: These are some really nasty intersection of like the the. The American expats and uh, in Asia and some, you know, like, Thai, Taiwan, uh, separatist. I mean, it's. it's I'm not gonna say too much about Ye You
1: uh, Lun because I th- I think he's like part indigenous and he like he's looking at it from that perspective, okay. but the fact that he's just putting words into my mouth, come on, man. <laughs> <Karina>.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, on, that, on that note, <laughs> let's end, end the show today. And when we come back, we will uh, dive more into uh, Taiwan, polit- the contentious Taiwan politics uh, and uh, Taiwan in, in 1980s and, and, and to the democratic transition.
1: I think you'll have some sto- a lot of stories to share since you grew up during that time. You probably heard a lot. I
0: was I was in Chongqing, man. I was in Chongqing. So. <laughs> I was a te- I was I was a pre team in Chongqing. Okay, all right. Uh, Good to well, be on again. Uh, Good to talk to, to everybody. I'll
1: see you guys next time, hopefully soon. And I hope you feel better. And hey, yes, maybe maybe have the latest in demand antibodies, and you don't know yet. <laughs>
0: Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, and thank you for joining the show again, shang Oh, no problem. Bye-bye. Bye.